That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. As Tommy makes his way across the quad for the first time, he's met by curious stares. Hey, Tommy. Hi. And loud cat calls. Hello, how are you? This is going to be killer. <laughs> Nikki, you describe the album as a tale of dirty needles, damaged minds, music industry battles, and a whole lot of sex. Is that fair? <coughs> I think that's fair. That's, a, that's our story. The Saints of Los Angeles uh, was and is a whole different animal. It's cool when you, when you look out there and there's a 12-year-old with a shout shirt on singing the words to Shout the Devil. SLLA was done with uh, Pro Tools. We'd send like hard drives around and it was like, it was so easy. When you listen to the album, it's almost like watching a movie, you know, to me, because it's, uh, you know, it starts out face, face down the dirt and ends, uh, ends with uh, coming out swinging and pretty much the story of our life is that, that album. The album is a bit of a soundtrack to the movie that is, you know, going to be in production here very shortly. Uh, chicks equal trouble. The crew, full on, right now, right here. <laughs> Enjoy and crank the fuck out of here. You're listening to the Cobras on Fire podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network. This week, we kick off the first annual March Badness with the odious Motley Crue record, Saints of Los Angeles. What does odious mean? Look it up, Tommy. Cobras and Fire. My name is Baco, and I am joined by the filthy Loose Cannon. How are you this evening, Loose? Uh, it's actually the dirty Loose Cannon, but I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. And how no, you, are you? You, t- you told me it was filthy. Uh, no, dirty. All right. Well, then we're off to a bad start here in uh, what we're going to try to coin and see if we can actually carry a theme for a month, uh, March Badness. Ooh. I like it. I like the pun. Yeah, March Badness is just our little play on words. We're going to talk about things that are bad, basically horrible, shitty, sucky things. So if you see us promoting March Badness this month, we're just having a little fun. It really isn't that serious. Almost like everything we do. Uh, yes. Unless uh, I'm talking about Adele. I fucking mean that shit. That Fine young lady. Sucks. Hello. <laughs> Listen, 
uh, again, offending the. Uh, if we did have a female audience, the one that we had is, is now already. <laughs> I, che- hey, if out a female's checking episode. out our show, I don't think she's uh, checking, listening to Adele on the way home. I don't think so. She's probably listening from prison. <laughs> she's like the whole time. She's like just scratching her her ankle because it's got a bracelet on it. Like instead of these uh, ten million certif- verified listens, we'll uh, uh, get new posters that say the number one prison podcast, the, <laughs> the right. number one women's prison podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, orange is the new cobra. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, we got some beer to drink tonight. We do, we do, and uh, who do we have to thank for this? I want you to say it's uh, he's uh, he's uh, a, yes. a, a near and dear friend of yours. Sure, it's uh, uh, Dave Brewington of the number three best podcast in Nashville, voted by <laughs> some random organization where they then got to wear tuxedos to go there, and I don't know what the first two were. It wasn't Decibel Geek, so that was uh, humiliating to them and us. Well, we're not Nashville, though. Right, but uh, by association, I mean, that's embarrassing for us. That's true, yeah. Uh, but anyway, for the, the podcast is, if I hadn't already said it, Blame Your Brother. And uh, so Dave Brewington, uh, very Brew. graciously. Brewington. Get it? Yeah, Brewington. Get it? More puns? Uh, mm-hmm. And yes, what, what did he gift us? What do we have that's well, giving us... It giving me a little bit of a, a beer elbow from the weight. Well, up here in Minnesota, we have a nickname for what I'm about to open, and that's called we call it the oil can. Uh, Foster's Lager. It's Australian for beer, mate. Beer. Foster's Australian for beer. That's not a beer. This is a beer. <laughs> and how many ounces is an oil can? Mine is 723. <laughs> 723 ounces. Yeah, that's that is an Australian quart. Beer. Foster's Australian for beer. <laughs> anyway, it is. So, a, these cans are fucking ridiculous. I uh, uh, <laughs> in ten years, my grip will be too weak to drink one of these. Beer. Foster's Australian for beer. <laughs> we'll be doing. We'll be on episode a thousand. Had <laughs> some asshole give us it, and our 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 wrists are so feeble and shaking. And they're giving us oil cans. It is ridiculous. It's not it is about a podcast uh, worth of beer, though. Beer. Foster's Australian for beer. <laughs> it really is. I'm only had one beer, honey. <laughs> That's right. Just one. Just up. You know, this is this is like this is this is basically 7-Eleven's big gulp. Of beer. <laughs> beer. Foster's Australian for beer. You know what 7-Eleven, which is hilarious now, is it says Foster's fo- Australian for big gulp. <laughs> They have uh, at Seven Eleven, which I've always found amusing, at least in the last I don't know ten years or whatever like that, is it say like, "Do you want a fountain drink? It's ninety nine cents. And it doesn't matter if you get a large, <laughs> an extra large, or they have like a sixty four ounce one. Well, they all drinking that. Truckers, <laughs> I guess so. They're just, Truckers oh. in uh, um, preteens. <laughs> this should be good. <laughs> Uh, oh anyway. my god! You know you have a problem when you're when you're drinking that much fucking fountain pop. You know it's like <laughs> like you, these are the people that like when they order their 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 combo meal at like McDonald's they always say I'll take you know number three with a coke no ice. Oh yes, no. I was just gonna go there. It's the no ice. Like I don't want you to take away. The three ounces you would be shafting me with that fucking ice. Yeah, I'm really getting a fucking deal here on this shitty-tasting, watered-down, flat <laughs> Coca-Cola. I mean, the thing is fucking 
piss worm halfway through it. <laughs> and, and, yep, you're getting a great deal, asshole. Uh, hey, it ain't cold, but I got an extra three. <laughs> it ain't cold, and it stopped fizzing a week ago. Oh, yeah. Do they even, like, bother hooking up the, uh, um... The carbonation? The carbonation at 7-Eleven. I think it's just fucking no. tap water. It's oh, 7-Eleven. <laughs> it's 7-Eleven. It's water and syrup. Just, <laughs> and it has... And it, all 7-Elevens, I think it's standard that that little nozzle that's on it sprays sideways. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, some of it comes up, but 30% of it sprays on your wrist when you're trying to uh, fill it up. The type of guy that gets the 64 ounce pop at 7-Eleven is also the guy that like at a restaurant that has your fill your own pop ask for a cup for water but secretly puts pop in it oh yes I'm sorry that offended me <laughs> well, that's why you're not welcome back at Witch Witch tell, oh. tell the truth it's the toilet story is a sham it's because you tried to put pop in a water glass get the fuck out of here with your, your scam of pop. I'd like to see somebody actually get called out in it once just once some rogue some rogue nine dollar an hour guy that's just like paro- patrolling the heroically patrolling I'm, I'm earning my money you're getting out of here Anyway, so back to the beer. <laughs> that was a hell of a tangent. What are we, five minutes in? Uh, yeah. So back to the beer. So would you like to open it up and, uh, uh, if you can, um, yep. and, and give it a review? Yeah, uh, by on. the way, mine's, my can is green. Yeah, mine's it's blue. Green. Mine's the right one. You got the wrong one. Uh, of course. Just... I'm sure yours is a little uh, darker and heavier and a little more assholey uh, than, than the one that Dave actually picked out. And once again, Loose Cannon does not get the proper thing. I would actually encourage the listeners to just buy the most simple macro thing that he can un- no way claim that he couldn't find. Buy this guy my... Miller Lights. Buy him Budweiser. Get him Bud Light Lime for fuck's sake. Oh, the, wait, no, 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 that's too obscure. He'll find a store that doesn't have it. How did you weasel out of it this time, Luz? I don't see how this is weaseling out of it because I'm pretty sure this is worse than the one that you're having. <laughs> so the But the point is, I go there, and this is a pure, uh, again, I love dealing with millennials in all retail situations. So I go, and I go to the whole, the judge much? beers. I do judge. <laughs> so so for anybody that's uh, 27, you know, just turn off your, turn off your radio because you're about to be offended. But... Uh, Don't so worry, part, I got your back, peeps. So I go, <laughs> I go to the single beer section of Total Wine, and I can't find the Fosters. So I ask, yeah, where, "Where's the Fosters?" And they said, "Oh, it's an Imports," which makes me laugh. You know what? I think that's far less ridiculous than when you go to a restaurant and it says all domestic beers are are like three dollars, and then you ask for a Sam Adams, and like, well, that's not a domestic beer. Yeah, okay, same kind of bullshit. You think that you think it's you think that every one of these cans is traveling halfway around the world to get to your lips? <laughs> I know I've had a few of these float back and forth in Ron Keel's hot tub. <laughs> but the point is, is that I go, I say like, hey, where's the Fosters? Oh, it's in the import section. He shows this to me, and he goes like, here it is, and he hands it to me, and I'm like, man, I remember this being either blue or purple. He's like, nope. That's the Fosters. And he goes, by the way, did you know it's from Australia? <laughs> beer. Fosters. Australian for beer. Imagine <laughs> that before that. And I go, yes, I did. But I remember this being a different color. He's like, nope. I've been here for for since this place opened, and it's always been a green Fosters can. I think this is the only one they've ever had. Maybe you forgot since you haven't had it for a while. Beer. Fosters. Australian for beer. Anyway, so, that's the, so I have this green can. So let me... Uh, would you like to now proceed in opening it and having a sip? Yeah, let me see what I got here. 
Let me ask you something. Have you had it before? Uh, I, I've had Foster's tons of times, but I've never okay. had the green version. So. Yeah, so I'm, I'm having the one that Dave actually bought. Uh, I've, I've uh, much like the uh, premium of last week. I've, I've definitely got fucked up on this shit before. It's been a long time, but you know, welcome back, baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to open this, but it may break my finger. Here we go. There's actually a layer of oil. That's nice. Mm, that's why it's called an oil can. Okay, so this says, mine's Premium Ale, Ale, Australia's favorite beer brand. So it's not a lager? Well, I have no idea. It's, no, it says Premium Ale. Yeah. Mine says Foster's Lager. I would much prefer that. Can I give my review? Yeah, please. You go first. All right. Uh, yeah, I've always liked it. It's fine. If it was a little more readily available at like sporting events or concerts, I might tug one of these down once in a while yeah it's it's smooth it, it, uh, it, it's a lighter you know it's not that oh that that deep european craft brew thing that seems to be the only thing uh craft brewers make in, in the united states it, this is i don't know it's just a nice lighter flavor i could see drinking this on a cool summer backyard barbecue listening to the latest meatloaf record <laughs> on repeat that, that that's a reference to an off off uh, air phone conversation between me and Lewis. anyway mm-hmm. uh yeah. your turn Okay, so here I go. This is actually not too bad. It's not somebody I go to, but uh, so if you get the green can, it's definitely heavier. I think I would definitely prefer the other one. And I, yeah, I had I fosters a lot in college. I just never went went to it. This is almost like a version of Steel Reserve or or uh, a Colt Forty Five that doesn't suck because it's two dollars and fifty cents for this fucking monster. So yeah, no, yeah, pretty, it was pretty good, fairly affordable. Pretty good, yeah, pretty good value, and I think the other ones were $4. So if you're looking to get really drunk and piss a lot, Foster's is the one for you. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yeah. Is that a review? That's a re- Hey, hold on a second. For some reason, Paul Hogan's here. Is he in your house? <laughs> He's always in my house. Mm. Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Dave Brewington. And uh, someone get Paul Hogan out of here. Dave, of course, contributed to the Bias a Beer program here at Cobras on Fire, which you can find at GoFundMe.com slash Absolutely Drink. For $5, you get to pick the beer we drink on the show that night. We give our own personal review. We take a picture of us drinking it and post it on our social media page. And we talk about it, and we talk about you. So go to GoFundMe slash Absolutely Drink, and you too for five bucks, can pick up the beer we drink next week. Well, before we get into today's topic, uh, I did have one kind of quick review, if you want to call it that. It was a, uh, a retweet. Actually, it was just a tweet uh, mentioning us on uh, on Twitter. I read this tweet work? on Twitter. Oh, boy. The Fosters is kicking in already, I think. Anyway, uh, this is a guy who actually regularly you know, uh, chimes in on Twitter or retweets. He's a fan of our show, Decibel Geek, uh, a, lot of, a lot of our friends and stuff. Uh, but here's what he had to say. Uh, This is a guy named Christopher Stokes. Uh, Finally got a chance to listen to the newest Cobras and Fire podcast, Loose Cannon and Baco Kill Me. Most importantly, thanks for inter- thanks thanks for the intro to the Holy White Hounds and Bad Flower. Both bands kick ass. Psyched for the new damn things too. Thank you very much, Christopher Stokes. I hope you keep listening and uh, uh, thank you for your support. That actually commented on the actual music. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that, that's why I brought that one up. You know, yeah. it's like uh, you know we get those from time to time, but you know we, you know we try to feature new music when we have it, uh, especially by young bands, and it's good to hear that uh, some people are hearing it and liking it. So, and uh, the Holy White Hounds actually gave that little tweet a heart themselves nice we are now done with the 7-eleven portion the beer <laughs> part and the review portion of the show uh would you like to get into the dirt 
Yeah, let's kick off our first annual March Badness with a doozy. Motley Crue, Saints of Los Angeles. So yeah, prior to Saints of Los Angeles coming out, it's kind of a weird time for Motley Crue from New Tattoo, trying to kind of reinvent themselves as the old Motley Crue. Yeah. And uh, which didn't really work that well. And then, you know, Tommy Lee was out of the band, he's in the band, and then there was a, t- a couple of reality TV shows. You got... Vince Neil, like getting a facelift and red hair. Or, I don't even remember. Yeah, that, that was Man, a weird Vin- one. I don't remember what what that show would have been either. But uh, yeah, and he lived in that that house. What do they call that? Like celebrity beach house or something? Uh, it, was it, re- it wasn't rehab though? Was it? No, was no, it no. Rehab? It was no. It was not a rehab house. It was one of those things. It was almost like Big Brother, where you you, you had to win competitions each episode, and it was like him. Uh, I don't think it was Webster and, uh, or maybe it was, <laughs> no, right. maybe it was like uh, who uh, the, the the Jaleel White. What was his name? Uh, Urkel. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, that's right. And Corey Feldman, I think it was on there. Ron Jeremy, maybe. I think that was called uh, currently unemployed. They had that. And then Tommy Lee went to college, and oh, you um, met the you, the, the, the Apprentice too. You were talking about. Well, the Apprentice was. I think the Apprentice was in the last five years, though. He kind of used that that those credentials. He also started a ton of Vince Neil himself. Just to mention this quickly, he started – he was part of what was called the Motley Cruise. So he opened all these ridiculous business ventures because so I moved down to Florida. He had Motley Cruise, which turned into Shiprock. He actually opened Dr. Feelgoods, which was a bar that uh, was – sounds like it would play rock music, but only played dance music. And Nikki Six and the rest of the guys shut that down because he used that name without asking. Are you aware, though, that the members of Motley Cruise sued Tommy Lee for damaging the, the name brand for doing that, that – uh, time of league goes to college thing. I do kind of remember something about that. I was <laughs> Which is pretty funny. You know, the show has to be I think really people bad. People who graduated college should have sued Tommy Lee for damaging <laughs> the reputation of colleges. The guy doesn't have a high school diploma. How is he going to college? I mean, there's no way that guy knuckled down and got a GED for a fucking reality TV show, right? <laughs> no. Think about it, though. That actually makes sense. He sullied the Motley Crue name by trying to get himself educated. That is he, true. He went for higher learning. How dare you do that to our brand? Tommy Lee, 25 years removed from high school and with no prior college experience, this hard-rocking badass faces the biggest academic challenge of his life, final exams. But just so you know, he never went to class. He was just in, in marching <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, it was a TV show, Lewis. I, uh, I, I didn't actually oh. assume he was doing any actual work. Okay, I'm just letting you he know. He was on the swim he, team. He, it was very hard for him to be in marching band, too. It was very challenging for some reason. I, I just I uh, don't understand it. So the lawyers get together and make make, make nice, all the, the members, and they get together to put out Saints of Los Angeles. Would you like to start with this? Um, so, yeah, I was looking forward to it, but I was not anticipating to get the new 6 a.m. CD inside by accident. What about you? But I remember like running for my, my job at the time. Just imagine me as a banker. <laughs> imagine imagine loose can as a banker. I ran out during lunch, got this thing, cranked it in the in the car, and m- upon my first pass, uh, I, I, I liked the majority of it. I was just I, I'm sorry. I was just uh, picturing you like you know with with your suit coat off, but but still wearing a tie and dress shirt. Uh, uh-huh. in, sl- in slow motion, sprinting into uh, Best Buy <laughs> with uh, like the the Chariots of Fire song playing. <laughs> I think it was Best Buy too. Yeah, I got it, and I was like, I put it in my uh, I don't know what that whatever car it was, and then this was like this. Honda Civic, number one car in Winnipeg. Oh, that's true, Honda Civic. It was <laughs> it was I was parked between uh, spaces A one and D five. So before we go into it, you want to throw in some details about uh, the album? 
Yeah, yeah. Let's get. Uh, it was released uh, on my mother's birthday, June twenty fourth, two thousand eight. Uh, um, produced by uh, James Michael. Oh, that's my grandma's name. And James Michael Jackson. Do you like that one? That's one of your jokes. Uh, <laughs> James Michael and DJ Aspa. <laughs> DJ Ashpa. Oh, I did a second one there unintentionally. Um, oh, yeah. uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to steal your bit. <laughs> of bad jokes? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> bad jokes. Really stupid jokes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, on, on Nikki Six's own e- 11.7 music. I guess Nikki has production credit on this as well. Just a quick note on James Michael and DJ Ashpa, who are also in 6 a.m., with Nikki Six, and he had that record come out before this, which I think is going to have a lot to do with what I have to say anyway. But to me, those two are the musical equivalent of an Instagram filter. They're just, <laughs> you know what? If you don't know what you're doing, they make it real easy. You're not going to get anything unique unless you get one of these 20 settings we have. DJ, play the reggae setting. Well, yeah, so the main the songwriters on each track, and I think that's accurate. Yeah, I have it in front of me. The I members of, 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 of 6 a.m. Yeah, Plus it, some uh, some some songwriting from Marty Fredrickson, which you know he's he's done a lot of stuff, a lot, a lot to do with Aerosmith, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any other ones? Off Mick Mars gets it gets a handful of songwriting credits on the back half of the record, but the, but basically you have 6 a.m. writing the album, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, all right, and I'm pretty sure recording it too. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll get there. The first track is called LAMF. Can you translate what that what that stands for? Just take a guess. Left another milf fart. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's L.A. motherfuckers, but I'll go with that. Los that Angeles is... motherfucker. Sure, but L.A. Now... is an abbreviation. You fucking dipshit. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> so you want me to say Los Angeles? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. This opening track. This city full of plastic angels will seduce you. I have no idea what's going on. Vince Neil is talking, which he should never talk on, <laughs> ever. But he should certainly not talk on on record. And you're talking about a band that has have had some really cool intro tracks on some of their albums. I'll go obviously shout the devil. Fucking in the beginning is a masterpiece. At least listen. I, I still think that's such an effective opening. Um, opening to an album, and yeah, I even like the little like thirty or forty second thing in the beginning of Doctor Feelgood. I always want to hear that little terror intro in Tinseltown. Doctor... Yeah, before it kicks into the the actual song. So to take those two is is kind of like a template and pull out this. I don't even know what it is. What is your thoughts on it? And by the way, there's one, two, three, four. Yeah, it took four people to write this. <laughs> oh God. Uh... Was Cardi B one of the writers? I believe so. <laughs> that guy from Panic at the Disco helped produce it. Oh, it's Saturday night. No, whatever. I honestly, uh, I listened to it today. I don't remember. I remember it's garbage. I know. I know you yeah. got like Vince saying some weird shit at the beginning. It basically is just a kind of a lead-in intro to the first, the actual first song, based on the third.
Tommy Lee thinks this song is rad. I think you're correct. Yeah, I, I can just see him in the studio listening to the play like, rad. Uh, uh, I, see, can, I'm can all I, over your bits today. You, you are, but but I can, actually, you just kind of uh, set me up nicely. I don't believe he was in the studio. Uh, you know, I, I tried to listen back today. I, I, I think there are a handful of tracks that I'm pretty sure he played on. This was one of them, just because of the. Uh, and I, look, it, it's difficult to tell. They've really gotten you know drum machines to sound like drums, <laughs> um, and, and I, I'm pretty sure by this point that would have been accurate as well. But to touch on what we're talking about, you you told me earlier today that that you're pretty sure there, there's a decent amount of drum machine work on this record because of the connection to 6 a.m. I, I tend to think I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't even be shocked if Tommy programmed the drums. I know I know he's into that kind of stuff. Uh, I, not not so much because of the DJing thing. Just I mean, all of the, I suppose that helps learning the, how to do it. But because uh, these are all rock beats and things of that nature. But something about this, this the the drum track on this one song and a couple others sound particularly live. I, I will say there's like two or three songs total that sound like he's probably playing on it but it's it's mostly the sound it doesn't matter if it if there's motley crew albums i've liked or disliked but the drum sound has always been on for me yeah like, but it's not been time. one really consistent sound well, no but it doesn't sound to me the drums on the part of the thing that i have an issue with this album is the drums sound like they are on yeah i'm not sure what they're called exactly maybe synth drums but do they just have a very odd electronic sound to them that kind of stands out and takes away from mm. a lot of these songs it, it, anyway, uh, well i think but. i honestly think my gut feeling is tommy played on most of these songs i couldn't find anything to to talk about it in a web search uh like i said it wouldn't really shock me if it wasn't because they've gotten so advanced with the sound quality like they actually sound like real drums uh what you're describing to me really sounds more like modern day production where i've talked about it in past episodes this almost kind of flatness to every record that comes out uh in the last 10 years kind of we you know you don't get a lot of uniqueness to it and i think it has a lot to do with digital recording this might have tainted the whole record for me because it was clear you know because i heard the same thing like they were going to kind of do something like the dirt and i'm like nikki just did that with 6 a.m with the 6 a.m thing i don't think there was any like uh plan you know what i mean it was like i just kind of want to do this and put it out there, and then it actually was successful. The first one, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's this is coming in right after that. Sure. Okay. So, so this is the time of this record coming out. They had the first one out, and he did the Heroin Diaries book, and, and peop, it, it did well as far as selling. And then the, the the companion soundtrack ended up being a successful, you know, musical entity. It sold a lot of copies. Uh, that uh, Life Is Beautiful was a was a really big hit for them, uh, and it's basically you know made Six AM a viable touring act almost. Just, just that thing. But here's the mistake that people like Nikki and Gene Simmons and a lot of people do. They try to recreate something that worked that part of the reason it worked is because they went in with no agenda. You know, I mean, I, I don't think they ever recorded 16 with the idea that they're going to be hanging platinum records on their wall. You know what I mean? I don't think those three guys thought they were forming a project. They were just doing something that Nikki kind of wanted to do to be a companion to the thing. And it was a cool idea. And now Nikki's like, hey, I got another book. We should do that, too. And it was clear on this song because, you know, and, and it's just it's a lazy stab at like, you know, I want to make a lot of money, but I don't want to go to school. I don't want to get a real job. I don't want to be you. I'd rather be dead. You know, the point being is by the end of the song, I think there was a certain bias that was going to be difficult for the rest of the record to beat. I, I, I don't think these are good Motley Crue songs. I'm pretty sure Vince sang on it. Nikki may have not played bass on everything. I just doesn't sound like a Motley Crue record by the end of it. But this song is the first kind of domino to tip that made me start feeling that way. Yeah, for 6 a.m., 
I like that album oh, uh, okay at first, and then now the only songs that stick with me is Life is Beautiful and the uh, track right after it, Pray For Me. But I do like those two Agreed. songs. Um, but it kind of was like, eh, it's kind of just overplaying a concept and, and whatever. Yeah, it really but, is. And then I think that's a great way to, to, to state how I feel about most of, the, of this record, too. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So for this song, the uh, uh, first time I heard it, I was like, Eh, not that bad, but it was so simplistic. Where you know, when you come to Motley, you're at least going to have some riffs. And this thing was just like da na 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 na. That was basically the song, and and the the chorus is pretty grating. It's not very melodic, and I was just like, all right, it's got some attitude, but it's just not doing anything for me. Didn't hate it at first. I do not like it now, but I'm just saying that's my first impression. I was like, well, you don't like that one. Next one's going to be better. It just doesn't feel like a band that was driven to do music. It was just like, whatever, just just record the damn thing and let me know when to show up for the, to shoot photos for the album cover. Uh, what do you think about the album cover? I like it. Actually. Yeah, actually, the uh, the entire packaging, the album cover, all the photos, I think it's great. Yeah, I thought that was the, the pictures of the band and everything like that. I thought they did a nice job with it, as they always do. Yeah, actually, for yeah. the most part, uh, I thought Generation Swine was a crappy cover, and I didn't. I, you know what? I don't think 94 was good. Um, the no, was, that's right. Yeah, there's a couple of missteps, but for the for the most part, you know, yeah, yeah. this is the band that changes their logo every time. They have some creativity with the album covers. Generally speaking, like yes, that. I agree. Next next track, what's it gonna take? What's it going to take to make it? It is. And uh, this song, eh, not that bad. <laughs> it's my second and <laughs> not that bad on this one. Uh, I, I honestly, the, the thing is, is that this on this This is going to be like the flip-flop of the Van Halen 3. <laughs> what, I, what I just say, <laughs> that's right. I, I'm okay with it, and yeah. you just despise it, yeah. right? Yeah, carry on. Uh, but But this one... You know, obviously, like I said, like I imagined because uh, I read the dirt and kind of, you know, the kind of for eight years or whatever, thinking about an, an album that was going to be have at least some of that. That was kind of a cool idea. So this one, what's it going to take? It's kind of there's actually really only four or five songs on this album that are really about the dirt. The rest of it's just some other stuff. Wouldn't you I don't agree? know. I actually, as I researched it today, I tried to kind of place the songs into the timeline of where they would have fit. Um, Interesting. So this the, this one obviously is the first one is hey we want to be rock stars. The second yeah, one the, is there's more Nikki's story. The first one, you know, sure. I'm, I'm a my parents hate me. I'm dropping out of school and running away from home. I'm not going to be a banker, Dad. <laughs> I'm not going to be a banker that listens to this album. This one is uh, them wondering how many ugly girls Tommy has to fuck for them to get signed. <laughs> okay, excellent. 
Uh, so this would be just before Too Fast for Love. Sure. I, I actually that this one I think is is okay, where it's just kind of talking about the Sunset Strip, this, that, and the other. But it doesn't it doesn't stick. But I didn't I didn't I don't hate it. I just think it's it's it doesn't do anything really for me. Yeah, I just the, the lyrics are just garbage. Eh, I don't think it's. Is that bad? So we wrote another song, cut a cut a demo on a dime. They didn't like the sound. We didn't fit the times. The radio station said it's way too loud. I mean, come on, man. He mailed that in with a lot of postage. <laughs> what about I'm a sorry motherfucker tired t- tired of living in the gutter? What's it gonna take? That's my point. Well, this is the first uh, uh, f bomb of the album, which I think this is this hits a record for them. It's actually so, too much. It, it stands out. Like it, it does. It, maybe it's Vince. It, we'll get into this on a on a song later on. But it becomes apparent. Part of the problem is Vince can't sell this record. Like he can't sing it in a way that's believable. I mean, he actually sounds okay on the whole record, but you don't buy into it. I guess this is actually the first album that I think that he was really. If you listen to it, uh, well. I remember after repeated listens, I was like, yeah, I think this guy is auto-tuned. I think he was in – this is right around the time. Yeah. I don't remember when auto-tune really became a thing. Well, around this time, auto-tune wasn't what uh, people – you know how people talk about, let's say, Photoshop that with almost no sure. idea that Photoshop's an actual program? Uh, And that what they're actually just asking you to do is find some way to manipulate this. That's kind of what auto-tune has become. Um, What you're talking about is pitch correction. Um, And auto-tune, I think, does that now. But but around this time, do you remember that Kid Rock song, Um, Only God Knows Why? Auto-tune was more like for that Uh, or that that share tune. But uh, I have a different theory. Vince, like this is the the Vince being thankful for digital recording. He sang two words at a time. Took a breath. It's like we were back it up. <laughs> he just so it took him like. Well, remember we, uh, we were talking that like Tom Worman was saying that Vince would he would put in the work. <laughs> he's he's not afraid to spend twelve hours in the studio to record three minutes of vocals. <laughs> it is amazing. Anyway, it, it seems very like slapped together. But again. You know, uh, nice attempt, but no. Uh, but can I move on to the next song? Down at the Whiskey. We slept all day in our clothes. That's okay in Hollywood. Another shot, another show. All night long at the Whiskey. Go, go. Do you remember Is if I'm going to compare it to the rest of the album, this is one of my top uh, uh, songs on the album. <sighs> I like the lyri- I like the lyrics on it. I like the beginning part. I can imagine Nikki Six just like playing his guitar and like spinning around on stage. And uh, you have some weird visualizations when you spin it, Nikki. Give us a twirl, <laughs> bitch. You know what I'm talking about when he's on. Anyway, yeah, uh, you want to see the backside, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this one just has, this one is is melodic. Uh, you know, of of this, if they had just had just one song that was kind of like their origin song, 
took out the other two of the beginning and they said, this is kind of our, we're coming to the Sunset Strip and trying to make it. I would be okay with it. After two that are kind of similar to it, it's a, it's a little too much. Yeah, but, the uh, timeline, this would be shortly after the other song because now they're living in that apartment. Um, oh, here's a little fun fact for you. I don't know how much you know about that apartment that that this kind of notorious if you've read the book The Dirt uh, oh, of that, that the, I think the three of them lived in Mick uh you know still had his own you know he probably had like a uh he lived in a trailer park somewhere by himself but uh cuz he's like 70 years old at this time. <laughs> Do you know the actual age was 30 yeah, when started which is amazing There's if you think no about fucking it. chance that's true but anyway you all think he, you think he was older than 30? I saw a picture of him in 1972 and he was pushing 30 then so <laughs> it was like one of his bands in the early 70s anyway uh i uh, i actually just on a, on a lark just kind of google mapped like the I, I found the address and then i map you uh, use google maps to find it and then I, you know i do that that actual earth view thing or you know the street view thing and i'm like and they always said it was really close to the whiskey so i, I looked at it. it's literally like a block away like they're on the same street you can see it from their front driveway wow a band that has some somewhat i don't know questionable believability to some of the stories you heard suddenly some things kind of like well maybe there's some truth to this you know they literally probably did bring half the bar back with them on nights sure anyway this song is catchy it sticks in my head uh, is it a great song? No, but in this context, it's okay. I agree. This one might be the closest to sounding like an actual Motley Crue song. I don't know. It, it kind of a lot of this stuff kind of reminds me of when Vince first went solo, and like at the time, like Jack Blades and Tommy Shaw were, you know, like the hot rock duo to write with, and so he brought them in, and you know, he sang on their songs, and that's kind of what this sounds like. He's singing on songs uh, Hired Guns wrote. Just to hear Whiskey A Go-Go you know, in, in an actual Motley Crue song, for whatever reason, I like it. And then the other part is is that when I actually – when my brother lived in L.A., one of the things I, I did, was determined to go to was uh, the Whiskey. So I went there, and there's just some local terrible band playing it. That place is tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was like maybe two or three other bands represented. There was Motley memorabilia everywhere. I mean this is like – the sure. early two, 2000s. And it was just kind of cool to see that they were basically just like crowned this, that they owned that fucking place. And that it still was still there all that time later um, as, a, as a reference. So, But I was really surprised how tiny it was. Uh, Paul Stanley uh, made them cover up all that stuff with his own paintings when Kiss just played there for Sirius, Sirius XM. <laughs> the painter. The painter went around and yeah. just, just <laughs> painted Mustaches on everybody. You, you ever, by the way, a real quick side note on Paul's paintings. How come they're all self-portraits? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Why? <laughs> Moving on. The next next up is the title track, Saints of Los Angeles. This seems like a good opportunity for me to interject my own uh, little conspiracy theory as to why the album title was changed from The Dirt to Saints of Los Angeles. Please. Right around this time, Janie Lane had a project with uh, Bobby Blotzer, uh, I think Robbie Crane, I can't remember who the guitar player was, called Saints of the Underground. And yeah. they actually did, did did some music and released it. And uh, it wasn't, boy, too long after that that I heard that they were changing the name of the record to Saints of Los Angeles. I think uh, my person, I think Nikki liked that title and kind of took it and, and you know borrowed from it a little bit. And this that- is another. This is a song, and this will be a repeating theme. And then I'll get turn it over to you. Uh, I'm pretty sure the title was written long before any music or lyrics were. <laughs> if this album was completely deleted from history and this was only a single, 
it would be a better thing. I love this song. It is Vince Neil is as sleazy as he is in Wildside. I love the lyrics. I like the whole, uh, just the vibe of it. It just, it, it, it's the same thing. It, it's pretty much. It is the only good song they've put out since sex. <laughs> this, this preceded sex, but uh, I love the, I love the, the chorus. Like I, I like the fact that they keep it in the set list. I like this song. Hmm. Go ahead. It's probably the best song on the record. It just, again, I just, I, it feels fabricated. It just doesn't sound, it's, it's clear these guys don't fucking do a damn thing together now. But when I bought the record, I don't think I was aware of it. And I was really, again, I'm just, I, 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 I'm still annoyed that the, 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 the two guys from 6am are basically writing the damn record. It really pushed it over the edge when you got fucking Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach, the Buck Cherry singer, and... Oh, I don't like that. There's who's the other dude? Uh, oh, there's a guy randomly from uh, a band... Uh, oh, Lost, La- the Las Vegas? No, it's it's that was a good guess, but it was actually another band on their on their label. Oh, Rock and Roll Devils, or Devil of... They're, oh, Charm City Devils. There's two versions of this, by the way. There's, for oddly, the single that I have does not have the gang vocals, and that is the more superior one. It also does not have the 45-second bullshit intro. It just goes right into the song. I'm familiar with the two different versions, but uh, nothing really gets my douche meter going more than Jacoby Shaddix's face in his stupid band. <laughs> and just, his, just his, he is, God, just such a fucking poser. Uh Did you- and, and th- th- weren't they basically part of a package tour too? Everybody's band, like Buck Cherry and and them, yeah. And Buck Cherry was a band that had some promise. I thought that really turned into be a fucking pile of shit. I, yep. I, I do like Josh Todd as a singer, but I mean, really, th- what a talk about a waste. But anyway, we're <laughs> that didn't sit well with me. I just didn't like it. Okay, get over it, Wally Gator. <laughs> Wally Gator is always the the measure of what a good uh, piece of quality work is, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I definitely use him to gauge what side of the fence I should be in on an artist. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it, it's it's Rip Magazine and Wally Gator. Yeah, Those are the yeah, two things. That's you'd my use. two sources of. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but 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 going to, to, I think this is a good segue into Crewfest really quick. How long are your concerts? Um. Well, when we, well, the, the crew fest that we're going out to do um, is a little bit shorter because there's five, six, five bands. Yeah, yeah five bands, yeah. When we do our own. We play an hour and a half. Yeah, it's, a lo- it's an all-day event yeah, with all nine bands. Minutes. Last year when we played, it was uh, we played uh, almost two, three hours. Yeah. You yeah, know, because seven. we didn't have an opening act, so we were able to, able to play, you know, without just this, us. This tour is how long? Uh, we're on for an hour and a half. Yeah. But the band, I think the first band probably go on at five. And how many five, cities? 40, 40, 40, 40 on this run, only in America and in Canada, and then we'll we'll go from there. You go around the world? Yeah, we always we always go around the yeah, world. We'll Hopefully. finish up in 09 sometime. In Are you 09. big in, in the Orient? Are you big in yeah. Europe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially in the Orient. Are you alive? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Did you pass away? No. I'm the only one that is still alive. 86. <laughs> There's a little more of me with Motley Crew. You might say this is really behind the scenes. Let's rock and roll. Because basically they, they put everybody that was on that tour on that, that, that track. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah, because yeah, 6 a.m. toured with that, that crew fest, too, didn't they? <laughs> well, that's what I was saying. That was a bizarre thing. Where Did you go to that one or not? I did not, no. Okay, I did not either, and I'll go into crew fest, too, just for a quick story on that, too. But the, So the lineup was exactly what you said. It was Buck Cherry, Papa Roach, 
Um, 6 a.m. and Trapped. Oh, what a terrible lineup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, they, they they put their name on the banner of what this is this is going to be, and these are the bands. And I think they are all on. I might have this wrong. I know this is more uh, more accurate for round two, but it, it, it is funny the fact that it, we didn't even intentionally do this, but we were talking about 7-Eleven earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what Nikki Six's label is? Yeah, 11-7. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which I thought was always kind of amusing. I think all these are associated with a label. It definitely was for Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, you, these bands have all been on there at some point. I guess I don't know about Trapped, I'm guessing, but... No. Yeah, but... Uh, so, that would be anyways, a very Nikki Six. I want to be Gene Simmons move to do, right? But but look at this though. I mean, the fact that they, that Six A.M. was I think playing in the middle of this lineup. The fact that he played twice was he was still he was basically using Motley Crue to promote the band he really wanted to be big. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he really you know did I mean? kind of because um, what was that thing he did with Tracy Guns, uh, Brides of Destruction? That really didn't turn out. I think at all like he was hoping it did would. Right. Because he bailed on that real quick. Yeah, he did. I actually like a couple of tracks on that too. Uh, it's a much better record than this album. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was doing that. Then he did like that side. That pro- he, there's a lot of times when he does an album right when they put a Motley Crue. Like he put out a solo album called Fifty Eight. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, I never heard like, it. I know what you're talking about though. Okay, he put that out at the same time of New Tattoo, and there's kind of enough songs on both to make one pretty solid album. But he kind of split the difference on his solo stuff, kind of like the Six AM thing. I think there's more. Anyway, but it's just. It's just uh, that is a shitty lineup. Now, if you thought that was bad, can I please give you the lineup for Crew Fest too? Sure. The first Crew Fest, they did obviously they were focused on the Saints of Los Angeles. Do you know what they were focused on the next time, the next Crew Fest? Uh, year after that, greatest hits. <laughs> no, they play they played the entire album of uh, Doctor Feelgood album because it was some anniversary, twentieth anniversary, top. To oh bottom, yeah, which, actually, I I have the the anniversary CD of that that has like. I don't know if it's a whole live show, but it was to commemorate that tour. Okay. Well, that means that you got to hear Time for Change, and she goes down live. I mean, Sticky Sweet, you got to hear all that. Rattlesnake Shake. If you haven't heard Rattlesnake sh- Snake live, then you have yeah. not lived. My At this point in the, in, in the history of Cobras and Fire, my view on play the entire record in sequence is, is clear, right? I'd... I'm against. Yeah. Well, well, me as well, and I can go into that the next episode. But the uh, so that uh, that lineup was Godsmack, Drowning Pool, Theory of a Dead Man, and Charm City Devils. Oh my the, God! I mean, where are the <laughs> when you need them? <laughs> I know, but and I actually got back in my other <laughs> back in my life. That was a horrible thing to say. Oh, that really was. Yeah, I think you went. You went. But we might have to. That, that is. That is. Wolf. It's wow. staying in. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus! I think we just we hit new level. I, it was I don't just even like know it was a hit. it was Nickelback short of of that's enough. I'm going. <laughs> so I was reviewing for a website that was just a really pretty much a bad version of decibelgeek.com. Okay. So I got the passes free, and I actually interviewed the lead singer for Charm City Devils and uh, Drowning Pool and actually got like a video of it it's somewhere on YouTube if you want to see a, a much younger Loose Cannon do a terrible interview. And, I actually um, kind of like Drowning Pool just a little bit. I, 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 I do too, actually. There's a The only album I like, though, is um, oh, the self-titled one. But I, I hated the bodies. I didn't like that that crap. Like have They have they have had three singers now. At least four. Is it four? It's got to be, yeah. Um, but okay, yeah, whatever. Anyway. We don't we don't have to get too deep into it. I I don't <laughs> think I like one album all the way through by them, but they've they've had some songs that I've really dug. 
Uh, agreed. Yeah, on that, they're, they're the shining star. Um, but this is also the tour where Godsmack got mad because they actually said that we should be headlining above crew, Motley Crue because we're Different a stories, though. That's what Motley Crue says. I mean, I've heard Godsmack's side. It's a little different. You know, um, uh, I, 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 I kind of like the whole Sully versus Nikki Six thing. It kind of reminded me of David Lee Roth versus Sammy Hagar and how no matter what, no matter what Sammy did, uh, no matter how right Sammy even might have been at times, he always ended up looking like the doofus. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and that was very much because, like, I heard um, uh, Sully talk about, like, you know, he, he asked for some passes, and they said, you got to talk to Nikki. And Nikki <laughs> just gave him stickers and wrote pass on him. He went... <laughs> <laughs> and look, I don't know what actually happened or what the beef was. You know, it's a great um, story though. Yeah, no, and the fact, but again, this is Sully telling the story. Who looks cooler in that story? I think Nikki, Nikki hands down wins that one. Oh yeah, okay. big time. And that's not that, look. I know you hate Godsmack. I don't really hate him that much, but I mean, Sully does have fucking Napoleon complex. We all know that. Who is it? Is it Sully or is it Nikki? Who is the motherfucker of the year? You, oh, you think the song might have been written about him? Ooh. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't Crew no, Fest 2 afterward? Yeah, okay. Because no, they wrote uh, what, what the song about a bitch. Uh, right, right. Uh, about Nikki Six, but. Yeah, I think it was called uh, Smack a Bitch. Yeah. Crying Like a Bitch. There you go. Another like just a uh, equally clever title. <laughs> it's all right. You might as well have been on this fucking record. Yeah, so next track is one that I think Tommy Lee actually did play on. It sucks. It, again, it's basically a, a, they keep kind of trying to rewrite almost the same chorus. Here I, here I am. Hey now, hey now. I'm the motherfucker of the year. We are, we are, we are. It's, Ooh, you did get it. It's a shittier version. Yeah, it's just it. it it's just this kind of big chorus thing that uh, they they were doing with six a.m. and in this. I don't know. It did nothing for me. Uh, and it seems a little too earnest trying to say motherfucker, man. I mean, I, I mean, Tommy right. Lee wanted That's to call it rat as fuck of the year. <laughs> now you're taking my jokes. Uh, all day. That's This episode is Baco's being loose cannon today. <laughs> How's it feel? Yeah, raddest motherfucker of the year was the working title. I mean, <laughs> that's better. Yes. Yeah. See, that's, that's, mean, that's why you get those jokes, because you, you know how to do it. Okay, fine. <laughs> They're all terrible. Any variation of them. But but so so yes, this song is the antithesis 
of what Motley Crue is, though. Does this sound like at all if 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 Vince Neil was not on this track that? Would you think this is a Motley Crue song at all? Uh, no. Uh, nothing about this song. But I'm basically describing every song to this point. This does not sound like a Motley Crue record, other well, than Vince this- Neil's voice. I don't think Mick yeah. Mars plays a lot of guitar on this record. Yeah, there's very there's too many guitar solos. I do think the guitar solo at the end of Saints of Los Angeles is also really good. Mm-hmm. Uh because uh, that's when he. There are a anyway, lot of. So, I, I, I didn't take great notes on the leads on here. There are some that that I think it's clearly him. You can kind of hear his style come through. But some sure. of them, you know, some of them have that kind of like uh, I can play anything kind of uh, approach that DJ Ashba has. He doesn't really yeah. have like a unique sound or style. He just he can just like, oh, you want something that sounds like this? Um, yeah. I was glad to actually just fucking hear him again after no solos in Generation Swine, and there was just a tiny bit of sure. that, of that. And anyway, so that I think he does uh, is is decent on the album. But yeah, this song, this is when I'm listening to the album. I'm like, okay, I feel that wherever I was going and whatever happiness I was having having this album, we are starting to we're we're going directly downhill at this point. Mm-hmm. Because things things make a big change after this, and again, too much force. At this point, we've heard the chorus is motherfucker. I think we've heard fuck about thirty five times at this point on the album. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't fit. They've never even had fuck in any of their songs before. I don't think. Yeah, and it sounds forced. You know what I mean? Yes, you know, it like, does. Like yes. look how edgy. It's like people. The rea- It's almost like they're trying to write songs not about the dirt, but about the reaction. To the you're like, oh my god, you guys fucking did this. It's like, oh my god, we did that. It's like it just dawned on them what they would done. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. if Saints of Los Angeles was probably about shout at the devil, you know, time, uh, motherfucker of the year is probably we're looking at girls, girls, girls going into theater of pain or uh, uh, Doctor Feelgood. Sure. Yeah, and 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 this. Uh leads into a leftover track from 6AM's Heron Diaries, and that is The Animal in Me. This sounds to me like he's writing about his relationship with vanity, which would tie into your theory because she plays a big role in that uh, uh, novel. Oh, I see. Oh, you think this is actually autobi- – This is a- see, I didn't even make that connection. It, 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 after Saints of Los Angeles, none of these songs seem like this is has anything to do with, with the dirt to me. Hmm. I, I, I mean, you, you I, see, I see okay. them continue a theme through this, but uh, – All right. Your thoughts on this track? Yeah, it's garbage. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It's I the can't ink believe that never that... heals the deepest cut you feel the thing that you feeds the animal in me. I just I don't know. No, it's 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 gar. I agree. It's 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 garbage as well. And the thing is, is that it's one of these songs too that that Nicky or somebody in the band must have. Well, 
of course it's Nikki, uh, liked so much that they shoved it, they shoehorned it on two greatest hits packages that they repackaged. I don't know if you knew that, but it's there in case you wanted to have it. And it's a remix of it. Well, they've got a lot of them, so I'm not sure where to find I don't typically look at track listings on greatest hits now that you mention it, but... uh, Well, they uh, completely... You know the Decade of Decadence doesn't exist anymore. Oh, really? It's been deleted Bullshit. It's in my fucking CD rack, bitch. I'm talking about like if you're going to buy it or you're in there and they're, of course, their streaming catalog. It's been replaced with one, only one, one version of their greatest hits. And that also has the animal and me on it. Just so you know. <laughs> right. Well, you know, two sides of the coin was on a greatest hits kiss record. <laughs> that is, I told you, you didn't believe I me. Did back not. In the yeah, day. Like I said, I actually own the thing and I didn't like, I thought you were just trying to make one of your horrible jokes. No, it was, it was a horrible truth. It was a horrible truth. Oh, man. Uh, I had some so other to say there. I'm not sure if we even – I don't even know if we need to go track by track on this at this point, Baco. So I'm just going to go uh, – your thoughts on Welcome to the Machine. Well, just like The Animal and Me, and this is another clever uh, title. They, they definitely spent some overtime coming up with song titles on this record. Uh, I, I definitely wrote the title, then wrote the song. I liked this song the first time I heard it when it was called Shot Full of Rock on the Ace Freely Trouble Rock Walkin' Record. I was hoping it was going to be a Pink Floyd count cover. Yeah, it would have been. Well, Motley Crue doesn't have a great track record with covers. <laughs> Welcome to Machine. Is this is just a throwaway? Just here it is. And then, how about any other thoughts on this? Because I think we can just kind of blaze through some of this. Here. <laughs> Well, let me just get a little some of these lyrics, man. I, I, I did some research oh, here. Uh, okay, please. I didn't know. I I, 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 I told myself not my, to. My favorite line in this is, rotting to the core, give your ass like a whore. Once you take oh, a my. hit, you need a little more, more, more. More rhymes with whore and core. Truth. That's all I got. Uh, so, with that said, just like a, just another psycho. Welcome to the machine, though. That would be the uh, Dr. Feelgood tour. What do you mean? They're just talking about basically just get out there, keep going. Night after night, we're keeping you on the road. Same old situation, wow. baby. Dude, you're actually opening up my my mind to this. The fact that you think it's are you? Did you research this online and see? No, that, I just I, I literally have print out of all the lyrics and I read them as I listened to the record today. Okay, well, I guess after that we go into like I said, just another psycho. Which here's my analysis on it. It's a it's an Alice Cooper, a terrible Alice Cooper song. <laughs> Yeah, it's another uh, clever title. Uh, this has got to be like, um, I don't know, when, when he's during his heroin days a little bit. So this might be a little off the timeline, um, but it worked better sequencing maybe. Um, but again, who knows when, you know, Nikki kind of relapsed a lot. Uh, so I'm, and yeah, I, I, yeah, Baco, yeah, Baco, this, this really helped this, the album with the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they had just adjusted a couple of these songs, it'd be a much better album. Hey, hey Baco. Yeah. Can I tell? Can I tell you something? Sure. I went to the doctor. It wasn't a shocker <laughs> when he said I should know. I'm just another psycho. Is this a limerick? Where's Where's the guy? Where's the man from Nantucket? This dick so long he can suck it, or whatever it is. <laughs> well, you know, Doctor Seuss was dead, so there's this there's this opening. You know, like someone can fill in the shoes. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. It's going to be Nikki uh, Six. I, 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 you know, Buck, I should be committed for being so twisted. Everybody knows I'm just another psycho. I'm not okay. <laughs> it's just it's just garbage. Just another garbage song is their working title. Let's go to well, next track, please. It's probably my favorite one on the album. Nikki. He he finds influence in certain things. I don't know if he specifically saw the just the the printout of the title "People Equals Shit" uh, by Slipknot, but that just kind of seems like a couple of references throughout this record where he just kind of like he didn't rip off a song. He he kind of took kind of a, a message or something like that. And I, I, "Chicks Equal Trouble" seems really generic to me. Um, the opening riff on this, I don't know if you're familiar with the Gilby Clark song "Cure Me or Kill Me." Um, it does seem like he may have borrowed from that a little bit. Uh, I do have some notes here that I, this definitely sounds like a Mick Mars solo on this song, and Tommy Lee thought this song was rad. Oh, he absolutely thought it was rad. By the way, I am amazed that this song is not not just co-written, by, but only written by Tommy Lee. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> he, when I first saw this, I mean, I laughed when I saw the title to begin with when I grabbed the album. And, and I, all I imagine, though, and why I say it's a Tommy Lee written song is – is <laughs> Tommy Lee in high school being told to come up to, to in, in math class to, to and, and I can imagine like this like like Albert Einstein like writing all this stuff on the end and his end of his, his equation is just chicks equal trouble on that. Which which also on the same on the same uh, test he wrote two plus three equals jello. Then he like flips the chalk over his shoulder, walks out of school never to return. That's right. He's out of college. This is what he did at Tommy Lee. This is part of Tommy Lee goes to college. This is what he learned. No, uh, man. Uh, it's just fucking awful. Chicks equal trouble. And they, the, I mean, do you have any lyrics you want to share? Because the lyrics are Well, amazing. I think we should at least explain the overall theme to the listener that basically what they're saying is that chicks equal trouble. <laughs> <laughs> There's an underlying message that you won't get from the title other than you'll know exactly what it's about. I don't know. I mean, the uh, the chorus is probably good enough. Chicks equal trouble. You add it up, you get what and get what you get. Right, let me let me sing that. Chicks equals trouble. You add it up, you get what you get. I don't know whatever. You step right in it. So Yeah, you step you always step right in the shit. Yeah. Again, that's really cool when you're saying shit and fuck. And you're saying gold digging whore? They say gold digging whore. Is this Steel Panther? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's almost oh like this. God. This was like the the uh, the template for every Steel Panther song. It, it Just really throwing is. a line it's, about an Asian hooker, and you're good to go. Like, all right, let's let's move on from Tommy Lee's theorem that chicks equal trouble. Yes, yeah, it's rad, man. You know what the working title was was for this? <laughs> What's that? Rad equals gnarly. I think this this whole episode is lacking some working titles. Let's see if we can squeeze a few in here before the end. Huh? Rad equals gnarly. I like that. Hey, who do you think? Did you ever see that movie, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Uh, yes, of course. Who do you think is dumber, Tommy Lee or Paul Rudd's character in that movie? <laughs> Tony, what's that here? Man, I don't know. I quit wearing a watch when I moved out here. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. No, like my cell phone has a clock on it, so I don't really need it. I, I always go Tommy Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, the, he, Tommy Lee paid Tommy Lee paid to have a Starbucks into it built into his house at one point. Come, that's all you need yeah, to know. That that is the, you, that's the worst example you can give of how dumb he is. That's like the one good idea the guy's ever had. What? So he so he can't leave his house? Does he need that? Why is he just buy the coffee? Well, he doesn't need this actual Starbucks person there 24-7. Yeah, but this little... is kind of pimped out and cool. You know what I mean? You know, it's like uh, he knew MTV uh, was coming over to film his crib. 
Uh, okay. well, well, let's take you know, Tom, you want an example of Tommy Lee being dumb? He was trying to, uh, you know, kickstart his solo career, so he hired Chad Kroger to write his songs. Is that true? Yeah. I didn't know that was that, that was the, who the co-writer was for that stupid Tommy Lee album. I don't know. if Is it that one that has the Trying to Be Me song on it? Yes. I mean, that's basically a Nickelback song. Uh, the ne- What was that one called? Uh, Rad equals... Uh, <laughs> Radical rad, rad uh, does gnarly. not equal rad divided by gnarly equals <laughs> old <Squish. laughs> That's right. Anyway, the next like song it. up is the, another clever title called "This Ain't a Love Song." The, the next song up is "This Ain't a Love Song." Another another clever title. Sure, because it's it's true. Because this is a fuck song. You know, let me ask you something real quick about the songwriting. Do you think the generic titles, to me, that is just the influence of uh, Ashba and uh, Michael just seeping in? I guess. I'm not even sure how much work Nikki did on songwriting. He might have been the freaking uh, Rick Rubin of songwriters on this record. Well, I have a theory that Nikki Six has never written a single part of 6AM nor played bass on it. Actually, I think that too. Like it doesn't seem like 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 when I, people say like six a.m. have like just the fact that Nikki Six is in there, you're kind of curious to listen to it. Then you actually listen to it past the first album, which had a couple good songs. There is nothing that connects it to Motley or anything. There's no there's no there's not a drop of Nikki Six in that. There's just a yeah, you thing look, that he put his name on. You look at everything he's ever done. It's an, I mean, <laughs> this is just like I don't know. It just seems like a, a transition he's not capable of making. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but he's so, the name, and uh, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, Donald Trump throwing his name on a building. At this point, the listener has heard "fuck" I think seventy-five times, which is fine for our show, but not a Motley Crue album. Damn it! No, I mean I got kids. That's right. Anyway, I, I have nothing else to say to this. Yeah, this says, the song it, is garbage. I don't know. I mean, I, today was the probably the second time I listened to it since I bought the record. And it does have the the line that's a an homage to a terrible homage to Prince, which is uh, she bent down to the bedpost and I watched little Susie grind. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Leave Prince right out there. of this, man. I I think I do need to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I meant Nikki. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. All right. Hey, so, you're just reporting facts, man. I I am. But uh, yeah, this song. I mean, between chicks equal trouble. And this ain't a love song. My brain has actually just removed it been removed from its stem. All right. At this point, this trilogy of songs, Just Another Psycho, Chicks Equal Trouble, and This Ain't a Love Song, is probably the worst three song wrong uh, run of Motley Crue. And that includes anything on Generation Swine, anything like that. This is completely unredeeming. I, I can't even yes, no. You definitely I mean, don't want to be listening to these songs while you're studying for the SATs. <laughs> you're gonna be That's dumber right. when you listen to these. Oh my god! I just saw it. This is perfect. Are you aware that Tommy Lee has co-written credit on the Saint Love song? Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's the only one on there, and it is the dumbest song on the album. <laughs> oh, I rest my case. I'm gonna just you know, I'm thinking he came in and said, "Dude, to be rad, if we changed uh, um, line to wine." I don't know. But anyway. uh, yeah, so so it goes there. You hit White Trash Circus, which is actually amazingly, this was actually another single of it. And Motherfucker <laughs> of the Year was a single too, which yeah. is genius. They did that. Uh, 
And I, I don't even know what I can, I can tell White you White Trash this. Circus, did you like that? Uh, is it, I think the laugh at the end, it might even be Vince. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't notice. That is Vince laughing at the end? I don't know. I mean, no, just to me, that's the thing that sticks out about this whole song is that really, really bad attempt at some kind of like m- maniacal laughter. Ugh, I don't know. I mean, and then going out swinging? No. They do yeah, not. they did not go out swinging on this record. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is them basically saying, "Look, we're Motley Crue. You know, we're gonna fight you." Oh, we've come to the end of this album. Um, it, when you when you get done listening to this album, all you really want to do is grab a copy of "Too Fast for Love" to kind of cleanse the palate. Yeah, right? I or I don't know something to to numb yourself. You know, uh, these guys like to do drugs. I, I don't have any. What do they call cocaine back in '83? Krell. They had it sure, written in the back not? of the shot at the double record. I need some Krell to pick me up now because this album is a total goddamn bummer. Um, and and again, Wally, all apologies to Wally Gator, but if, if this record is complete fucking garbage. <laughs> this album makes uh, New Tattoo and Generation Swine so much better in comparison. In, in, in a way, uh, this showed that they were done. I mean, the, after this, the only new music they put out was Sex and then the amazing... Uh, uh, single the dirt i think i think that's only two other songs they put out past this yeah well the, the the there's three other tracks coming out for the movie but uh i think they're dropping the same day as the movie on march 22nd which we may or may not be talking about by the end of this month right yeah we uh, might do a review of the dirt <laughs> but yeah to me the the one takeaway from this is that th- as a functioning band they there was nothing left I mean, they, they could go out and play live shows as long as they all showed up in their own buses. Um, uh, it just, there, there, there's no cohesiveness to, the, to this. They didn't get together and write songs. Any co-writes were like add-ons after the songs were written. Um, it just, it, it, it doesn't sound like a band at all. And it's kind of depressing because I think they were one of the, if, if you're going to put a, a band from uh, the, the hair metal era, whatever you want to call it, 80s metal, um, glam metal, uh, in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this is the most legit band. Um, but honest to God, when you look at their career, it, 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 they're, and it's not really all that uncommon with, with the Hall of Fame. They're getting it on, on one or two records, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, this is definitely not the one they're getting. <laughs> And now, the writers of This Ain't a Love Song, It's Just a Fuck Song, Molly Crew. (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh. You you look at this, too, and uh, I got to tell you, for some of these these albums we've done, albums nuked, whatever you want to call it, March Badness, I would take Sonic Boom over this. I really would. Man, that's a good thing to... I'll, I'll get back to you. It's pretty close. I mean, I will take I'll take Sonic Boom immediately over this album. I will take. Um, I may even take Van Halen three. Nah, never mind. But the um, <laughs> I'll take Van Halen three over this one. <laughs> by a note. I don't even know. I'll, I'll take it by a Eddie Van Halen lead vocal track. Oh, you're gonna, you just still love that Eddie Van Halen vocal track. Okay, yeah, love one minute of it. One hundred percent. Right now, Sonic Boom is is hitting the CD player before this. My God, it, it's it, it is. It's like um, this. This is an album that sounds like it was it was produced by lawyers. Yeah, pretty much. It's almost like I don't know, like a marketing piece to tie into a tour. <laughs> we we need new artwork for T-shirts. Uh, and and I think that they they are were, and they had already self- just released seventeen greatest hits records, <laughs> so. right? And it was yeah. And I think they were self aware 
uh, of themselves enough to immediately drop it as a as a as a way to market themselves. They immediately went from Crew Fest to Saints of Los Angeles to just saying fuck it, we're just going to celebrate Doctor Feelgood and, and go on that. Within a year, I mean, all the songs were the only song they played was Saints of Los Angeles from it on that tour. Okay, my meaning. Yeah. So it was a it was a it was a, a failure in general, um, and it is a failure for my ears. It is depressing me to no end this 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 uh, this entire conversation, Baco. I don't think I can continue any. So what what can we say that's positive right now? How can we take this well, out of this hole? Why don't you uh, touch on uh, what BJ Cramp's got going on over there at Rock and Our Roll, just so we can uh, credit him a little bit yes. and let him know that we're hey, we're only doing this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We're not taking his. Yeah. I don't even think he's going to do this one. But the but but yeah. So it was interesting that on the day of of that we are recording, that uh, I saw that his he just released. He's doing a whole series covering the Motley Crue catalog that we are on a later episode. But he his first one, you know, Too Fresh for Love, just dropped. It's a very entertaining listen. Some cool interviews that he uh, put out put on there too from back in the day. And yeah, it should be definitely that is the out. That's my point. Is when you hear this, you need to listen to Too Fast for Love or Shout the Devil to cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of the, the palate evils. cleanser. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so but, yeah, but uh, check out Billy's uh, or, or BJ's uh, program. He's going to do like a whole se- – I think he said he was doing every record, but I think he was going to combine them once he got towards the end. Uh, like, yeah, we're on yeah. Girls, Girls, Girls if you want to check that out. But, yeah, like you said, uh, Too Fast for Love is out right now. I think they come out every other yep. week. Yep. So I don't know, man. Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. Rock's not dead. But rad divided by gnarly equals squish. Let me piss and I'll call you back. Mine's not, uh, well, mine's just a thing. Oh, I thought you had, that you didn't like this track, period. So I'm not talking about the track. Did you hear what I just said? Sorry. I did! I just wanted to say when we're, okay, just go ahead. Yeah. Let's talk. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 